and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogel. My guest this week is perhaps one of the greatest rock bassists of all time, Billy Sheehan. Billy and his band Talis are out with their latest album called 1985. Billy discusses the album and also dealing with the death of lead singer Phil Nero. Talis, Buffalo born and bred band, couldn't quite crack the success that they really deserved. They opened up for Van Halen back in 1980. U2 even opened up for them in Buffalo. Billy shared a funny story about that. By getting to know David Lee Roth on the road, David recruited Billy for his band after he left Van Halen back in 1985 and formed a great band alongside Stevie Vai and Greg Bissonette. Billy was there for two albums and then he formed Mr. Big and in 1992 had the smash hit To Be With You, top of the charts and billboard for three weeks. Mr. Big is still together. The last album, I think it was 2017. They're kind of a back burner right now. Billy's also in The Winery Dogs, Sons of Apollo. So he's always busy. Like I said, one of the greatest rock bassists of all time. I really enjoyed my conversation with Billy, and I hope you do as well. So, Billy, uh, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah. So uh, the new album by Talis 1985 just came out and it's getting great, great reviews everywhere. I absolutely love it. Uh, brings me back to, you know, to uh, an earlier point in my life. Um, just talk a little bit about the production of the album. I know majority of those songs, I think all but one were actually written in 1985. So just talk about how the album was actually made. Well, we... Um... <clears throat> We got together with this version of Talos a few years back, I think 2017. And uh, we hadn't done any shows together with that version at all. So uh, I said, why not? And there was a uh, fire department in, in Barnard, New York, right outside of Rochester. And they had a, a charity uh, show that they did for their benefit. And so we decided to do that for free. And uh, we had a, uh, a wonderful time. And we, we did some more gigs after that, played at the Iridium in New York City, played shows in Buffalo, played show, other shows in Rochester and Albany. So we, uh, of course, the inevitable was there. We, we, we relearned all these songs from our, our glory, uh, somewhat glory, <laughs> faded glory days of 1985. And so why not record them? Okay. So uh, we said, uh, well, we could, you know, update them and bring them up to speed and polish them up and make them all modern or get in a time machine, go back and play them the way we used to, which is how we were performing them live uh, as a reunion. So we thought that was the way to go. And uh, we uh, got together in Mark Miller's house, drummer Mark Miller, in a house that he built by himself. Uh, he's quite a uh, craftsman and an architect and a builder, woodworker, man of many, many talents. Uh, he used a drum kit that he made and uh, we got together in a room and bashed out all the basics. Uh, then uh, to do the uh, final vocals, Phil was spending a lot of time in Toronto. I think his two sons lived there. And uh, so uh, he was in a studio in Toronto with our engineer, uh, Russ McKay. 
And we used a special software called Audio Movers where I was able to listen in my home studio in Nashville in real time with no delay. I don't know, I don't know how they do it, it's magical. And then we'd use Zoom or FaceTime as a talkback. So it would be myself, Phil, and the engineer on the screen as we, you and I are now. And uh, I'd produce the vocals with Phil that way. And it was um, a, a, a lockdown record. I guess there are, that's a, uh, 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 I guess that's a thing. <laughs> the record's made in the lockdown. Uh, so, uh, we, but we managed to pull it off and uh, our engineer Russ did an amazing job mixing. He came to see the band back in the day, so he kind of knew what it was supposed to sound like. And uh, he did a great job. Another great engineer, Scott Bush, uh, did all the work in Nashville. And uh, there you have it. There was 1985. Yeah. It's truly amazing. That you just, actually, there's never a good time to have a pandemic or a lockdown. But if we had one maybe no. 10, 15 years ago, none of these albums would have been made all this technology what didn't exist so it's like it's really amazing how these records are being made now like you and i having this conversation you know via zoom a lot of a lot of all these you know people are able still, still to connect where 15 years ago we weren't be able to it was all just telephones true yeah i uh was off this is the longest i've been off since i started playing since the 70s and uh so in my home home studio i would uh people just wrote to me out of nowhere asked me to play on their on their tracks or their records so we ended up doing over 600 songs oh. of every genre you could imagine and some you might not be able to right <laughs> from uh rock and metal and heavy metal and death metal and uh uh straight up rock uh jazzy things fusion prog th things uh uh classical uh, you name it, even a, even a couple of uh, actual country songs I played bass on. It was kind of fun. So uh, that kept me busy, kept my hands in shape and kept my ears in shape. So uh, we uh, we enjoyed doing that. Uh, got a lot, lot done uh, in spite of uh, all the lockdowns and all the uh, insanity. Yeah. And, uh, going back to the album, uh, like in, in baseball, you always want to have a great like leadoff hitter to set the table, get on base and stuff like that. You basically have a leadoff home run on the album with Intermounting Flame.
song is a banger. It, it, it is so good. It's my favorite song off the, off the album. Um, was that like intentional to get that the first song off the album? Because now like albums don't really have the same effect because everything's streaming and stuff like that. But when you have a legit lead off song like that, it's it's fantastic. Was that always like the uh, the goal to have that be the first song off the album? Yeah, well, sequencing a record is an art in itself. Uh, what song goes where? What you start with uh, is the people's first impression. And so uh, generally in a show, I like to start off with some impact, making a record like a live show or not unlike a movie. Where a movie, they'll sometimes subtly slip the story in together and piece it together. But uh, for a live show and a performance, that first moment is where you kind of set the excitement level, if you will. And uh, Intermounting Flame was uh, a song I wrote a while back when I first met Mark Miller. Uh, it turns out he was a huge uh, uh, Billy Cobham fan. Billy Cobham was just an amazing drummer that changed the course of history for drumming back in the 70s. Just unbelievable. Um, the first time I ever heard Mark, he was doing a remake, a cover of a, a song called Strat, a soft one of Billy Cobham's solo records. And Cobham was more a jazz fusion guy, so a lot of rock people may not know him as well, but he was, he was the man. He changed everything. And so uh, he played later with a band called the Mahavishnu Orchestra with John McLaughlin, amazing guitarist, and the rest of the band was amazing too. Jan Hammer was in the a band, Jerry Goodman from the flock on violin. And uh, so we, uh, uh, their name of the record was Intermounting Flame, but there was no song uh, called Intermounting Flame. So we thought it was a little bit of a tribute to our common ground of uh, Billy Cobham. Yeah. We kind of do that. And the and the main riff of the song that you could dig a dig a dig a dig a dig That's a pen, little pentatonic scale. And John McLaughlin used to do those blazing up and down the neck. So in a way, it's uh, just kind of a tribute to uh, obscure to many people, but uh, to musicians, quite an uh, impactful and uh, influential band and genre. Uh, the Mahavishnu Orchestra, Prague meets jazz, meets fusion, and uh, the incredible drawing of Billy Cobham. So... Uh, yeah, we, uh, it, was, it was a nice lead off song because it's uh, right in your face. And a lot of times when you're playing stuff live as we did with that song, it creeps faster and faster until pretty soon it's way fast. I remember seeing Van Halen do a jump where he didn't really know what song it was for a while until he settled in because right. it was faster than how it was on the record. So this one we thought, well, should we slow it down a little bit now? Let's let's do it the way we do it. And we kept the speed up there and blazed through it. And uh, uh, a couple of songs are like that. You know, we uh, common sense uh, uh, might have told us to slow it down, but we said, "The heck with that. This right. is how we do it. Let's do it." So we yeah. kept it speedy. Another one is uh, crystal clear, which you can definitely tell is a, a little bit of a rock sand uh, influence. The, the you know the intro of that song by, by the Police was that intentional.
As a matter of fact, believe it or not, I didn't even really think, and I love The Police, and, and there's two record, two songs I pulled my car over to the side of the road when I heard them on the radio back in the late 70s. One was Hanging on the Telephone by Blondie, and the other was Roxanne by The Police. I remember pulling over and going, wow, what is this? I just absolutely love it. Um, love The Police. And we, um, that song was, was written by Mitch Perry. That and On The Take, when he came into the band, he brought those two songs, great songs, I love them both. They're both on this record. And I don't know why, but I never, never even dawned on me that, oh yeah, it's kind of, because it's got that up-tempo guitar thing, or up-upbeat guitar chord stabs, like Roxanne. So it wasn't until we did the record that people said, you know, that kind of sounds like, yeah, you're right, it does. So I'm glad, because I, I love The Police. Uh, so I'm not sure if, if Mitch, intentionally did it like that or if it, whether he's a police fan or not i don't know i imagine he is who isn't exactly. uh, so but uh uh so I'm, I'm glad we paid tribute to a great song there and phil just sang oh he's so great uh sang it on that song really knocked it out of the park yeah absolutely and you know sadly we, we lost phil um now with, with the band kind of without a lead singer now do you even consider like touring to promote this album how is that going to work if you guys even consider doing it it's tough it's, it's a tough spot emotionally and just 
logistically, you know, we, uh, uh, losing Phil was just, uh, just completely devastating for everybody involved and a lot of fans all over the world. So, uh, we had a similar situation in Mr. Big Lose and our drummer, Pat Torby. And we did play for a little while afterwards, but we knew we kind of, well, let's just let it rest because uh, the drummer we use, Matt Starr, is a great drummer, wonderful guy, dear friend, but it's not Pat, you know, and it's just not the same, you know. And, and so we uh, we may do shows again in the future with Mr. Big, I'm not sure. So as far as Talos is concerned, I'd love to at least do a show or two just to attribute to Phil. Yeah. And we have a, a, a couple singers that have come to us that are quite uh, capable of, of singing the show. So we're not sure yet, but we would really love to do something, at least for Phil. And then I just love playing with Mark, and Curie has been a joy to work with as well. And I love these songs, and a lot of people, uh, I've been overwhelmed with the response. I'm very thankful, very grateful for the response. So it would be nice to play again. No plans yet, but uh, that's something we're we're keeping that door open for sure. Yeah. When you have, like you said, you have a couple like lead singers potentially in mind. Now, do you want them to be like sounding just like Phil? Do you want someone to bring this their own like complete, you know, take on the song well, journey? Like they have, you know, the guy now sounds just like Steve Perry, and do you want that, or you want someone to bring their own like voice to it? Well, no, I'd like to, um, they need the range that Phil had. That's tough. Right. He had a high range. And I think once they have that, everything else can be kind of conformant. I'd like to have them sing the songs that Phil sang uh, in a similar manner, okay. but everyone is different. Uh, we'll, we, we would, that's a lot of wide open uh, uh, question there. So I, I, I'm not sure. I remember when uh, Paul Rogers uh, sang with Queen. Right. Uh, initially, when I heard about it, I thought, oh, man, I'm not sure if that's going to work at all. I love Paul Rogers, but he doesn't sound anything like Freddie Mercury. Right. And he killed it. He was amazing. So I think, uh, and uh, Phil had a great reputation with a lot of other singers. So I think anyone coming in would want to try to do him justice. And I would do whatever I could to help that along. But uh yeah, again, it's still kind of up in the air, so it's hard to speculate at this point. But uh, I, whoever it is, they'd have to be able to, they got some big shoes to fill. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> now, like, I, before we started, I told you, you know, I lived in Buffalo for a little while, went to college up there. So I knew of, of Talis. I knew, like, the legend of him that was well before, after you guys you know, broke up and stuff. But what was, like, the main issue why you couldn't, break through like nationally get the record deal because you guys were fantastic like what, what was like the one thing kind of like keeping you guys from getting that success good question we um we had some amazing close calls we uh opened for van halen in 1980 and john kalodner a very famous music exec producer guy i think it's geffen records signed aerosmith signed uh, guns N' roses he was on the side of the stage during one of our shows, jumping up and down. This is the best live band in America. We got off stage and he was hugging us. I thought, this is great. This is amazing. Never heard from him again. <laughs> uh, we did a showcase in New York City for Clive Davis, oh, wow. the legendary. And it was Clive and three guys in suits sitting at 
SIR rehearsals, just them in the audience and us on stage. And we played like there was 10,000 people there and did our thing. And they loved it. And they contacted and said, boy, the band live was just great. We were wondering if you have more material though. Like, oh yeah, yeah. So we got in the studio, whipped up the song, sent it down. We heard back from the man, the new material is great. So how's the band live? Oh man. You just saw five. Back and forth for a while and then, and then petered out eventually. So it was tough. We did finally get signed right at the end. Uh, one week, we got three phone calls. We heard from the William Morris agency. They wanted to sign us as a booking agency and put us on tour with Ingbe. Cool, done deal. The other one was from uh, Danny Goldberg and Gold Mountain Records. They wanted to sign the band. Danny went on to manage Nirvana, big uh, 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 executive in the music biz, wonderful guy. And the third call that week was from David Lee Ross' office, wanted to speak with me about being in a movie with Dave. Okay. What? And so uh, the last call negated the first two because uh, when I got out to LA, Dave, of course, uh, was very kind to ask me to join him in starting a band. And I, I as much as I love Talos and love that there's no guarantee that the record deal we might get from Gold Mountain is going to do anything. I've seen so many uh, disappointing situations with bands. They got signed. The record is done. It's ready to go. And the guy that signed them got fired from the label and their record goes away and then nothing happens. Or uh, a million catastrophes can occur. So I, so I uh, explained to the band that I, I, I got I to gotta do this with Dave. I, I'm glad I did. But that's where I left the band right in 1985. Hence the story of let's go right back to where that ended. Yeah. pick up from there. So uh, the, I think who knows what could have happened if we would have put this record out back then or these songs out that back then in this manner. Could have done great, could have been a whole different uh, world. But uh, I, uh, I'm i supremely grateful uh, to uh, Dave that he uh, reached out to me and we got to work together and I learned a lot. It was a huge success and that really helped parlay into Mr. Big right. uh, and having that uh, do become as successful as it was as well. So in the end, I think I made the right move, but it was, it was bittersweet. It was heartbreaking because I was, I was fighting for Talos for since 1972. Right. <laughs> yeah. How were the, did, how did the band members take it when you told them that you were leaving? Well, they understood. I think any one of them in the same position had it been me, I would have said, go, do it, man. Go for it, you know, because uh, that was just Dave at the time was the biggest rock star in the world. Van Halen just finished 1984. Uh, Dave's little solo record with Justin Gigolo and California Girls was just a smash. Uh, and uh, it was at Los Angeles with palm trees and blue skies. Not quite gray sky buffalo with snow and sleet and whatever. <laughs> so, uh, and it was a struggle back in the day um, with Talos. I mean, we were... Uh, We'd get in the van and drive for hours, get to a gig, two hours hot and sweaty, maybe get some food, pack up, go to the next place, maybe get a couple of hours sleep in a Motel 6 and slug it out, slug it out, slug it out, which I, in retrospect, I love that I, it was so tough because that separates the men from the boys. Right. I mean, we, we were up there every night and giving it everything we had. There's 40 people here. So what? Let's do the best show we ever did, you know? Uh, that, that was great. That helped me later on 
the attitude you need to get through that, that cut through that t- those tough times. That was a, a great, great asset. It didn't seem so at the time, right. but it, it certainly was. Uh, so uh, leaving was, uh, was uh, uh, the, the correct choice, I think, at that point. And I had been slugging it out since, like I say, since the early 70s. Right. So seemed to maybe, uh, maybe cash in, so yeah. to speak. Right. And David put together such a tremendous band with you and Stevie Vai and Greg Gerson. I mean, like, he just picked, like, all-stars for that band. And Eat Em Up and Smile is such a good album. I mean, like, Yankee Rose is great. You you contributed, like, you know, Shy Boy, you know, to it. Now, there's one song on there. It's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, was it uh, Ladies in Buffalo? Uh, Ladies Night in Buffalo. Was, was that one of your songs, too? Or is that just kind of a coincidence? No, no. I said it. And they made a song out of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think it was Thanksgiving and I went back to Buffalo. Right. Uh, when I first moved to LA, I'd come back every Thanksgiving and every Christmas. Then it turned in every Christmas, then every other Christmas, then eventually. Because yeah. I, I, uh, it's difficult to keep in touch with everybody in two cities and two different lines, you know. But uh, I went home for Thanksgiving on the in the fall of 85 and uh, went out. Uh, to a club and said hi to some old friends and stuff and it was ladies night and uh i came back and i didn't realize the uh the humor involved in it people looking at buffalo new york as a blue collar industrial town it doesn't bring to mind ladies night yeah the girls in buffalo are some of the most beautiful in the world uh we uh so i said it and everybody laughed ladies night in buffalo Ah!" you know so that became uh dave Brilliant, brilliant songwriter, a brilliant lyricist. He, he did an incredible job on that. So he just kind of made it a lonely, cold, uh, blue-collar yeah. industrial song uh, for that, that that they conceived Ladies' Night in Buffalo would be. So pretty interesting how he did that. Right. And like, you know, you, you said Talos opened up for the band in uh, or Van Halen, like, 1980. Now, what was the biggest, like, thing you took away from Dave? Like, you didn't know about him that surprised you? when you were in his band? Oh, uh, well, I, uh, he's just, just a grandmaster. He is, uh, I remember the first time I went to see Van Halen and we're going, okay, can't wait to see Eddie. This is going to be amazing. Eddie. And we spent the whole night watching Dave. Like, well, this is, yeah. this guy is the grand, he's the ringmaster. And we love Eddie. And I, he's a, I was so honored and grateful to become an acquaintance of his. And, uh, and the whole band, they're all great. Michael, amazing, Alex, Dave and Eddie. Uh, just, they were just, that was one of my biggest musical loves of my life, that band. But Dave was uh, just a grandmaster. He knew how, he knew how to make it happen. Uh, working with him was like getting a PhD in Showbiz 101. <laughs> just to, uh, I, I, I'm supremely grateful. Yeah. Were, were people like, I mean, cause like he was such a showman, great. Do you think that kind of took away from like his vocals, the way he was, you know, he was a great singer too, but I mean, just being a showman kind of that, you think that kind of like superseded like his like ability to sing or no? No, I think, I thought it was just perfect. Okay. It was a perfect balance. He had this amazing guitarist, yeah. mind blowing, incredible rhythm section, Michael and Alex. And you had this other guy being the master of ceremonies. And I love Dave's voice. Yeah. Years ago, they put out a, uh, Someone to put out the vocal track only of Running With The Devil. Okay. Now, this is just my opinion, but I get the idea they put it out as like a way to say, 
something negative on Dave. Because all the woo, ah, yeah, all the all the screaming and yelling. But you listen to the track, and when when it got put out, the opposite happened. People, he was right on. His pitch was perfect. There's no pitch correction back then. Right. His pitch was perfect. His timing was incredible. Uh, just it was it was a it was a work of art. Brilliant. So uh, no, I thought it was just perfect. I, I uh, again, I, I loved Van Halen and I, everything about it, and uh, huge influence on everybody. That band changed the world because people forget it's hard now because people you kind of had to be there in time. But his haircut, one hundred, flock of seagulls, skinny tie, little synth thing, and the poofy hair thing, and then Van Halen and, was, <laughs> and like a bulldozer just went over right. all that. Yeah, and and uh, waiting on the wings there was ACDC and Judas Priest and Accept and all these great bands, and suddenly the world went uh, hard rock heavy metal, and I think Van Halen had a lot to do with that. Absolutely. Now, did you appreciate like you know you mentioned like Haircut One Hundred? I love them and like um, Flock of Seagulls. Could could you appreciate like the new wave music as well? Some of it, yeah, 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 some of it. The police were in that uh, in that fold, and we spoke of them earlier. I love them. U two as well. We had U uh, two actually opened up for Talos in in uh, Buffalo. Okay. Uh, we used to play Monday nights at a club uh, run by the promoter, and they came in and uh, uh, were our opening act. Nobody knew them yet; they were just brand new. Yeah. And, uh, a little note in our dressing room. Uh, you know, thanks very much. Signed the Edge. The very <laughs> sweet people, wonderful people. Right. And years later at Rich Stadium, in front of 80,000 people, uh, Bono was talking about that show. And he said, yeah, we were surprised there were so many people there. He goes, probably because we were open up for a band called Talus. <laughs> and the, the collective jaws hitting the <laughs> ground was amazing because everybody thought that that story was was bull. Right. They didn't, they didn't believe it. Yeah. So I said, now get it. And a friend of mine uh, bootlegged the show and I have the CD of him saying that, so That's great. I got the proof. Yeah. But they were wonderful people and sounded great and right. went on to, of course, uh, very uh, uh, appropriate, huge success. Yeah, yeah, they definitely turned out okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, you did another album with Dave, and then you left, so I guess, to form Mr. Big. Was that always the plan, to, to like go back and create another? No, Skyscraper didn't work out for me musically or philosophically. So I, uh, I went looking and I knew Paul Gilbert already. He's come to see Talos play in uh, Pittsburgh and he was in LA and the drummer, Pat, I knew a little bit also. And I loved his playing and he's got a great voice. And, uh, we found Eric and we also were very lucky to have an amazing manager, Mr. Herbie Herbert, who was, uh, one of the founding fathers of the music business as we know it today. But just the most one of the most powerful and wonderful musician-oriented managers ever. He was he was the guy that said, "Why don't we sell T-shirts at the show with the band's name on them?" And that's how Winterland, one of the biggest merch companies, started. Right. I went to see Hendrix. There was no Hendrix shirts oh. or merch. Yeah, you know that didn't exist. So uh, many, how many musicians now are? living a much better life due to their merchandise. Absolutely. Uh, and and I, I do believe Herbie, uh, yeah. you know, wasn't him alone, but he was the guy who started the ball rolling on that. So he's quite amazing. So that was a huge asset to Mr. Big. And uh, as a result, we got some amazing tours. We toured with Rush, with Aerosmith, Brian Adams, Scorpions, 
all kinds of bands. Uh, and uh, that was all Herbie's doing. Yeah. Even having a hit single was more Herbie's doing than anyone else. He really pulled the strings to make uh, everything happen that needed to happen to get that to where it was going. And uh, we're forever, we lost him uh, about a year ago. And uh, we're, again, another person we're forever indebted to for our, the way our lives are now. Thank you, Herbie. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw you guys with Brian Adams back, I think it was 91 or 92, which was, you know, a fantastic yeah. deal, yeah. Now, um, it's funny, because they always say, like, you have, like, all your whole life to make your first album and, like, six months to do your second one. But the second one for Mr. Big was the one that really took off, and um, which, to celebrate last year, uh, it's 30th anniversary. I can't believe it's been 30 years already since Lean Into It. Yeah. And to Be With You, which, that was, like, the, you couldn't avoid that song. It was everywhere, you know. It's everywhere. It was, it was <laughs> such a good song. It still holds up today. What was just the background behind making that song? Hold on, little girl. Show me what he's done to you. Stand up, little girl. A broken heart can't be that bad. When it's through, it's through. Fate would twist of both of you. So come on, baby. Come on.
Well, uh, we, uh, we all were writing, myself, Paul Gilbert, Pat, Torpy even, and uh, Eric, of course. Eric is quite a prolific and great writer. Um, <clears throat> and he brought a cassette of songs and a couple things on there. Great, let's do this one. Yeah, cool. And then we heard uh, To Be With You. And uh, I don't believe he was that excited about the song because it was just hit him singing on piano. And we thought, oh, man, this it's just a great little piece of music. We should put it on like at the end of the record when the credits are rolling. Right. Uh, it'll be kind of cool. We never thought of it's going to be a hit. I always tell people, if we thought it was a hit, we would have we would have released it as a single first. Yeah, it would have saved us a lot of <laughs> a lot of a lot of work. But um, and we put out. I think the first single was maybe "Alive and Kicking," uh, then "Green Tin and Sixties Mind," and then something else, and just nothing was happening. Then uh, to be with you on its own, uh, DJ in Lincoln, Nebraska started playing it, and it caught fire. And it was uh, it moved all over the country on its own. And uh, it was uh, kind of unstoppable and very organic. And it was uh, number one for three weeks. Yeah. Uh, one week, you could have said, that ah, was a fluke. Right. Two weeks, that well, was a, yeah. a long fluke. But three weeks, come on, it's a, it's yeah. a hit. <laughs> and, uh, and the record company actually bought us because they had their superstar acts. They wanted, when a radio station adds a song by a particular label, right. You got to be fair with all the labels, so they usually just add one song from the artist on that label. And they had a Phil Collins record out, and the label was calling the radio station, "No, not Mr. Big. Put the Phil Collins record in." And now we, we're getting good action on Mr. Big, so they fought us the whole way. We still yeah. prevailed uh, instead of it, and uh, it was uh, number one in about 14 countries around the world. So wherever we went, yeah. uh, people people know us. We'd get on a plane. And uh, the, the flight attendant said, oh, are you guys in a band? We go, yeah, what, what band? Oh, Mr. Big, and go, I never heard of it. I'm the one, oh, you're kidding. And then they'd, uh, the pilot would come back and shake our hands. They'd move us to first class with free right. drinks. It was, a, it was our passport to the world. Yeah. Singapore, Thailand, Korea, uh, India, South America, everywhere. We just, everywhere we went, it was just, uh, we look out, in recent years, we played, and there's 10, 15, 20,000 people smiling, some with tears of joy, listening to that song. Wow, what a what a gift! Yeah. It's quite incredible. And again, another. I'm, I'm very, very lucky and very, very grateful. Yeah. Did you feel like the success you had with them was different than the one you had with David? Oh yeah. Well, it's kind of my band. I put the band together, but I made sure everybody in the band was equal. Right. I don't want to have a, a boss or a leader. I just want to have the, 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 the best idea wins, no matter who it comes from. But Dave, Dave, it was Dave's band. But Dave's a genius, and he was great at it. Right. So this one here, we just did our thing. and uh, I, I, it, was, it was a little more personal to me because it was my band. Yeah. And uh, I was glad to see Eric, Paul, and Pat get the recognition they deserve uh, based upon their talent and ability and how what wonderful people they were. So that was a good thing. Yeah. Was um, a lot of pressure from the record companies for Bump Ahead? Not really. The only glitch on that was they wanted another song. And Paul had a song for the, for the, for the next record. 
Paul had a song that went do 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 and that melody do 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 and I said that kind of reminds me of Wild World. Do 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 do. So with it, well, and I forgot whose idea it was actually. Well, let's 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 do a remake of Wild World. So the key of Wild World was way low for Eric. He's got a much higher voice, and the if you listen to the original single, it's just kind of a hi hat and a snare. Beautiful. I love the original thing. I love Cat Stevens, but it wasn't. Uh, so we just did it the Mr. Big way. And that was a huge hit again, internationally, everywhere. Uh, quite amazing. So uh, we, we dodged a bullet with a label for that one. And they were they were cool with that. And then we did one more record with Atlantic in the USA. Now, the band, I, you always hear the term big in Japan, but you guys are still like legit, like huge in in japan like what's like the love affair there with you in japan well it's kind of a cliche which basically isn't true i mean we we played in brazil in front of a hundred thousand people on uh, santos beach outside of uh, sao paulo in in italy at one point there were five mr big copy bands uh singapore i get more email from indonesia than anywhere We're, we played some places no no Western band ever played in Indonesia. So Japan was huge, great, and it's very important to us. And they're uh, very dear, near and dear to our heart. But it's, it's uh, and a lot of other bands went to Japan thinking, oh, it's automatic. We're from the West. No matter what we do, they're going to love it. They never got asked back again. So we went to Japan. We hit it as hard or even harder than any other thing. We stayed late. We shook every hand, kissed every baby, signed every autograph. We, uh, answered every every snail mail uh, fan letter and we worked really hard and they appreciated it and they're just wonderful great people near and dear to our hearts but uh, the cliche isn't necessarily true uh, that, that that's all that it was uh, and also in Southeast Asia every country is a completely different culture South Korea is completely different Thailand completely different the Philippines Malaysia Singapore Indonesia all these places we played quite a bit and it was great. We went to India recently, a similar thing. And all over Europe, Germany, France, Spain, Portugal, Italy, the, the uh, Scandinavia, uh, Great Britain, Scotland. So uh, it was uh, a worldwide thing. But people tend to focus a little bit more on Japan. Right. But, but again, we do love Japan very much and it means so much to us. Right. Now the last studio album, uh, Defying Gravity, which I like, but it, it sounds a little off. Like, yeah, you know, what, what, what was the problem there? Yeah, something happened. We I, we were there for the playback. Myself, Pat, drummer Matt, with our, our original producer Kevin Olsen, who was just a genius. Right. And we're listening to playback, and man, this is great. And we sent it off. Uh, the whatever file size and however it goes out, uh, the, the, that's the producer's job. Uh, and uh, something happened with the label in the after the mastering prior to the manufacture and uh it turned into a huge problem because uh a website called blabbermouth right which is just pure evil they just uh, they steal everybody's uh uh interviews off the internet cherry pick sentences and make headlines out of them that are shock or weird or out of context in order to get clicks and I mentioned something about the record company and they took my statement, the record company, and then put in parentheses frontiers records, oh, okay. which was the European label. 
which had nothing to do with it, nothing at all. So Frontiers Records goes out of their mind. How dare you say? And then they were threatening lawsuits. And I was so pissed off about it too. I was looking for their office in Nashville so I could go down there and kick the door down and, and, uh, and yell back at them. I never said it. The original guy had his tape, his tape recorded version of the thing. I never said Frontier Records. I never, ever did. I said the record company, period. But Blabbermouth, it's just hateful, hateful people decided to insert that to cause controversy upset and freedom and unfair to frontier records because they're a wonderful company and great people uh unfair to mr big and myself and everything but they don't care uh, it's just you know it's a it's a it's an email address i know the guy that's behind it and he's just uh, he's just looking for clicks he doesn't care at all and, and this isn't the, uh, so many other times they've done just on horrible, terrible uh, things that they've said about people and about bands. And uh, so uh, that's why it became somewhat of a controversy. But unfortunately, we had a uh, 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 situation. We still don't know what, exactly what happened. Right. So I remember I called uh, when the whole thing went down with that website. I called uh, Kevin, our producer. Kevin, you remember we sent out the label, right? Yeah, we had a problem. So yeah, I remember. So, okay. Yeah, it was uh, we we don't know why it came back different. I remember getting the final product and going, that doesn't sound like what we sound. So it's just a little mistake somewhere, a little problem somewhere, and uh, who knows what it was. But uh, the original sounded great. Right. Maybe in thirty years from now, we'll put out the yeah, <laughs> remaster. It. So yeah. Right. Yeah, I guess when uh, also when a website's called Blabbermouth, you kind of understand what it's going to be, which is you know sad, sad. And the commenters are just the most vile hateful oh it's just sad i am a quite i'm i'm self-critical very heavily my playing it's got to be righteous or i beat myself up i work 10 times harder uh, i often say nobody can be worse to me in their youtube or blabbermouth comment than i am on myself but i still believe that's true but nevertheless just uh, there, there's there's a lot of hatred unnecessary hatred in this world. I mean, there might be a record comes out that I don't like it. That doesn't mean I hate the people involved no. or I hate the band or I want them dead. Yeah. And, and I've gotten death threats from people of things of that nature. So it's a, it be, every one of them is screenshot and, yeah. and there's a security company that I use. They right. got them all on file. So, and they they scour those comments and grab the ones that are particularly hateful and right. they can look up the, through uh they have a way to take somebody's uh name on a comment and and search the rest of the internet for it and eventually find out who they are Good. so thankfully because it's a dangerous world out there and uh, it's a i hate to see it get ugly because it's just no we're just playing music and uh we're doing our best and I have great, great, beautiful, wonderful friends all over the world that I love dearly from this business. And to see that kind of, that, that kind of nonsense is sad. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's a shame. People hot behind their computers and there's no like, you know, identity to them. And it, it, it's unfortunate, but like music brings out memories, supposed to make you happy. And if you don't like the song, it's the greatest art form. Agreed. If you don't like the song, don't listen to it. Don't, don't you know. Yeah, exactly. Get overblown. Exactly. Then it's 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 really sad. But I'm, I'm extremely lucky. 
I get very little negative, uh, though every Talus comment, I haven't seen a single negative yet right. on all the comments. That's been quite extensive comments. So I'm really, really thankful for that. But sometimes if somebody is a negative, you know, instead of shitting on someone, yeah. why don't you find somebody you like and go praise them? Exactly. Just right. make the world a little more positive yeah. place. Right. You know, that's what I try to do. But, I, uh, so is life. Yeah, exactly. Now, like, <laughs> I know. And you've been a part of like, you know, amazing bands, Talus, uh, David Lee Roth, Mr. Big, Winery Dogs. Have you ever had to audition for a band and did you not even get in? Because I mean, you're obviously one of the best. No. no, never? No, I never auditioned. That's a funny thing. A friend of mine uh, in another band where you're going to hang out with in LA a lot, we work with a lot, uh, Ray Lugier, amazing drummer, plays for Korn. And we're his dear friend at the end. We both use the same engineer, Scott. Too. We work. All three of us work together a lot. And he said, and he asked me that. And we laughed about it later. I, said, oh, I never, never actually auditioned because most people have seen what I do. So um, if you want that, okay. If you don't, there's yeah. another guy out there that probably can serve you better than I. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. You, you can just you know listen to one of your songs, know what you know, or go to YouTube. So <laughs> yeah, I guess your resume is out there, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Now, also, like with the amazing lead singers you've been with, just give me like a couple of words about each one. We'll start off with Phil. An absolutely wonderful, sweet man, without a single symptom of lead singer's disease. He is just a sweet, wonderful, cooperative, and on top of it, dynamic, amazing performer. Uh, great voice, great writer, and just. Uh, just really uh, emphasizes how unfair life is. And uh, I know people that are just awful, just dreadful people, and they're gonna live till they're 90. Right. You know, where someone like Phil, to be snatched away like that in his prime, uh, just just completely unfair. It makes you wonder how it all works, you know? And he, uh, he got up to that microphone while we were uh, recording, him in Toronto, me in, in Nashville, and uh, I didn't know, none of us knew, but he knew right. that things had gone out of remission and he was in trouble. I know that now, I didn't know that then, but knowing that he went up to that microphone and just nailed it every day. He gave everything, he poured his heart out and I do believe that's very, very evident on the record. He just killed on the record. He's just so great. Uh, it just did so good. And uh, he was shouldering the burden of knowing that he was in health, serious trouble, which makes it even more amazing. I don't know if I could, if I knew something like that, if I could get up and, and do my thing uh, as best as I ever have for me. Uh, I, I don't know if I could do it. But he did pretty, pretty amazing. He uh, is a superstar in, in my mind. And uh, we first decided to do this record. Of course, it was in tribute to the time, 1985, and the people and the bands and the scene and what it was in 1985. But since then, of course, it's, the purpose, the record has morphed over a little bit also, certainly to uh, cement the legacy of a truly great man who was a supreme talent. And uh, we, uh, we feel uh, 
this, this is a fitting uh, performance from him that, because he was just so great. And he really just did such a great job. So I'm, I'm glad to see his such a fine work from him be the last uh, statement he made because it uh, just epitomizes how, how wonderful and great and talented he was. And the beauty of the music and the arts in, in, in general is his work lives on. You can just put on the, the album and just hear it. You can hear his voice like he's right here with you singing. So it's that's like the beauty. Yeah. That's great. That's the great thing about music is uh, I can put on uh, the first Jimi Hendrix record and it's like he's still there. Yeah. It's like he, like he, like I'm 15 again. Yeah. <laughs> and there, there he is. Right. And so, so it's a, uh, it's bittersweet. I put the record on now. It sounds great. Mark Miller is killing. Kerry did an amazing yeah. job. Mitch Perry as well. And my bass is in there somewhere as well. But <laughs> to hear uh, Phil, it's like he's, it's yeah. like he's still with us. And in a way, he is. I mean, he left a mark on all of us right. as far as what a wonderful guy he is, and what a great example of being a righteous person. So uh, uh, we we're glad we have this record yeah. for him. Right, and now like onto uh, Eric Martin from Mr. Big. What was the biggest takeaway you got from him, like working with him? Eric's a great singer, great writer, and um, we worked together as a great team. I think uh, me, Pat, Paul, and Eric, we came up with some great stuff and uh, uh, writing together in a room. Our first couple of records were all like that, sitting down, hey, I got an idea, what about this? And the next thing you know, we got a song. Paul was tuning his guitar with this. I said, well, what key is that? And G, so we said, and there's a, a Alive and Kicking, you know? I had an idea for a, a Daddy, Brother, Lover, Little Boy. I wrote it on a napkin at the Rainbow Bar and Grill, showed up at rehearsal next to next day. Hey guys, what do you think of this? Hey, let's put a drill solo in there. Good idea, you know. And, uh, so uh, it, it was a wonderful, uh, uh, creative uh, gang of people. Everybody had a lot of ideas, and almost all of them were, were good ones. So uh, Eric, uh, quite a great writer. Uh, Just Take My Heart was one of his songs, too. That was another single that would have conceivably been another number one. Unfortunately, Atlantic Record put it out too soon. Well, To Be With You was still on the charts. Yeah. So it, 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 a radio station couldn't play two songs by us, right. so they blew it again. I think we would have had another uh, number one single with that song. Uh, another great piece of music that I, I enjoy playing and got, gets great response everywhere. So, but uh, yeah, great team we had together, us four. Yeah, you know, the, yeah, the, that, that song is fantastic as well. And then we'll leave it with David. Uh, you mentioned what kind of a showman he was, but. What like one like thing that no one knows about him that would surprise people? Oh, I think everybody knows everything about Dave. <laughs> <laughs> right. and, uh, God bless him. I, I uh, no, he's a wonderful guy. He's a he was very generous to Steve and I, and Greg and Brett, who we lost also recently, a keyboard player and singer, writer, and uh, Edom Smile Tour was just heaven. It was fantastic. We go out every day and 20,000 people and it was a quite quite an amazing time and uh steve myself greg bissonette and brett while he was still with us uh would get together often so hopefully i'll get to see steve and greg again this year 
right. usually around Christmas time and have sit down together. We did, uh, when I was in LA recording the winery dogs, I, I took a night off and went over and hung out with Steve and Greg and we, uh, so very much like brothers. So, uh, we, and we have got some stories to tell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. What, when is the next winery dogs album coming out? It's done. It's mixed. It's mastered. The cover is done. The credits are in. The tour is being booked now for next year, early next year. And so it'll either come out late this year or early next. So we're ready to go. And I'm very excited about that. I love playing in the winery dogs. Working with Mike Portnoy and Richie Kotzen is just an absolute joy. And uh, on stage, we have a riot. Richie sings his ass off. Mike and I pop those harmonies in and working with Mike on drums that drum bass ESP. We got it. We got it down. It's yeah. uh, it's so nice. It's a, such a joy. And uh, I'm very, very much looking forward to it. Oh, good. Yeah. Me as well. Now, do you remember where you were the, the first time you heard one of your songs on the radio? Yeah, I was on the entrance ramp off Main Street, getting onto the New York State Thruway. Okay. Uh, and uh, a Dallas song came on the radio. And, uh, well, I just remember that exact point in space and time. Right. Right there. And every time I got, you know, if I'm back on, I got that, oh, this is my first, yeah. this first time I heard the record. Right. That was pretty cool. And uh, that was our little local record we did, the very first one. And it sold out locally and did very well. It put us on another level, and it was a, it was a beautiful thing. Well, 1985 is out now by Talis. It is fantastic. Everyone check it out. Check out all of other uh, Billy's work. Thank you. All out there. It's great. Billy, this was great. Uh, I appreciate your time today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Noel. Uh, thanks very much. And a special thanks to Billy for joining me today. Go check out Talis's 1985. On the streaming site, we can follow Billy on Twitter at BillyOnBass. His website is BillySheen.com. And if you have a guest suggestion, you can hit me up on Twitter at the first Noel One Nine, or like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. You can go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Check me out on SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music. Basically, wherever you can find a podcast. Your episode comes out every week. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you then.